real because I don't always plan to do these kind of goofy things. But anyways, we are kicking off a series today called Freeway, and I'm really jazzed about it. I really feel like, um, for me, um, this has been transforming for myself personally. Uh, I, I'll, I'll share a story with you here in a little bit uh, about this last week and some stuff that, that I feel like God's leveraging to kind of grow me in some areas. But uh, this whole freeway thing is just the idea that if you, if you really look at God's Word and uh, really sift through the whole idea of why Jesus came, why there's, why there's a Bible, why, why God has a connection or wants a connection with us, is the whole idea of, of, of being free. All through the Bible, we learn that God has been pursuing His beloved creation, us, you and I, to free us. And that's not just like forever and ever away when this world ends and eternity begins or heaven begins. This is, this is for now. And um, I'm really excited about this, 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 this series. I'm excited that we're connecting what I'm teaching on Sunday mornings with the, the, group, the, the small groups that are starting today. This is going to be a seven-week teaching series in a seven-week small group combination that I feel like God's going to use in our life. Now, I want to jump right in this morning and give you a scripture verse, because I feel like this sets the tone for everything. Normally, I've got a, a cute or cool connective thing to kind of bring you in, into this conversation, but I just want to show you a verse. Like, this is a verse that you need, to, you need to remember in your darkest days or your best days, because this is something that I feel like sets the tone for God pursuing us, not because He's mad at us, but because He wants to redeem us. <laughs> he wants to Show us His love. Show us His grace. And I feel like this verse sets it up for us. Galatians 5.1 says this. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And He says, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, this essentially says to me that the whole purpose and connection that God has longed to have with us involves Him freeing us, freeing us. And, and as I say that, I, I, can, I can sense a bit of like almost awkward tension when I say that. I, I feel like the same in the last service we had because I feel like there's, there's really two groups of us here. There, there's a group of us that like when I say freedom, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you, you, you look at your life and you acknowledge your mistakes you, you acknowledge some real, like, blow-up stuff that's like, you look at and you're like, dude, I'd love to get rid of my baggage. Um, but man, it's like, it's like ball and chain. You don't have a clue how much bad stuff I de- I've done. And you look at yourself as if, I really get it. Yeah, I need freedom. I've got all kind of thorny, prickly stuff in my life still. I can't get rid of it. Man, I need help. Yeah, I'd love freedom. But maybe for you, that is, that's like a pipe dream. Maybe for months, maybe for years, you've said, oh, yeah, I, I, could, I, could, I could handle some freedom. <laughs> I would love the idea of, like, freeing up some of the stuff that, that ails me. And maybe for you today, maybe this conversation for you today would be something of, it's, it's real. God really can free us. That's, that's one category. I think there's another category or group of us here, and... The reason, the reason I smile when I say that is because I, I feel like a large group of us potentially grew up, and you're pretty good. 
you didn't blow it all so bad. I mean, you, your stuff didn't stink as bad as at least the other guy you looked at and like, that guy's bad. He, he needs freedom. And maybe you're the person out there that looks at everybody else and says, they need it, but I really don't. Can I tell you that there's a, there's a large, large group of us that think we don't need freedom when we really, really, really do. And, and what I mean by that is I think there's, the, I, I bet there's a group of people here today who need to be freed from the need to prove themselves to people all the time, who need to be freed from the need to prove themselves to people all the time. Uh, you are the people that you got to be right all the time. You have to have the last word. <laughs> you have to tell everybody you know how busy you are all the time. You work in your accomplishments. Pretty much in, 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 in most conversations. Why? Because you need somebody other than Jesus to validate you. Woo-hoo. Somebody say he's preaching. <laughs> All right. Um, I bet there's some folks here today, you don't, re- you don't even realize that Jesus came to free you from your need from your husband, your mom, your kids, your friends to be happy before you can be happy. Like you're locked up, tied up in knots because your fear of of someone else not being right and your emotional condition is tied up in the approval of others because you're being controlled by the opinions of other people. Many of you lay up in bed at night second-guessing conversations you've had with others, worrying if you've offended them, and that person isn't even thinking of you. You live for an audience of several, and not an audience of one. I'm talking to people today who work too much, drink too much, eat too much, tweet too much, Facebook too much, Instagram too much. You're too engulfed in playing Angry Birds, Flabby Birds, Candy Crush. I'm talking to some people here today whose self-worth is ties to the size of your office that you occupy, your salary, your percentage of body fat, the size of your church, speaking to myself and our staff, your checkbook, the number of A's your child gets, whether they're first chair in the band or whether they can run faster, jump higher, or whether they can hit a baseball further than anyone else. Your identity is tied to something that always changes not the one who never changes. And can I tell you that Jesus wants to free you from that? And I want to just say that this morning, that, that this morning I'm, I, I had my notes prepared. They've been prepared for quite a long while, and I've been changing them all morning long. The guys in the back don't have this verse up because I just brought it. But I wanted to, and I hope I can read it because it's not printed for me in, in larger print. It's actually in my own Bible. And I wanted to just show this to you because when I think about how God views us and how most of us view God, I think sometimes we get off. We miss this idea of freedom. We think in some ways that we are running towards freedom by trying to find something out there that that is the more, that's better, and we miss the freedom that Jesus is saying it's right here. It's it's not in a knowledge. It's not in something else. Freedom is in me. It's, it's, It's the person of Jesus being connected to freedom itself. 
And I wanted to show you this morning that in, in Luke, Jesus speaks of himself, right? With the very first time Jesus is a young man starting in his ministry. Like people around in Nazareth, they saw this young guy and, and knew he was so, the so-called coming Messiah. And here's this young guy and we've seen him out there all his life growing up. And, you know, how could this kid now being a man be this guy? And Jesus comes into the temple, um, which he had done many times before. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, it says that um, his boyhood home of where he was from, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So all of a sudden, Jesus grabs hold of like the scroll and unscrolled scripture. And everyone is listening like, this is the kid we've heard about. This is the one that they've talked about. And let's see what little punk nose kid, you know, that's grown up and like acting like he's something. Let's see what he's got to say. So I'm sure this is like, you know, like a big deal all of a sudden. He unscrolls the scripture and it says the scroll of Isaiah and he's reading from, you know, the Old Testament prophet. He unscrolled it and found his place where it was written. And these are the words that Jesus spoke to that crowd that day. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Get ready, everybody. <laughs> I'm it. <laughs> God, God and I are one. The spirit of God's on me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, he's not talking like people just lack, like, you know, pocket change. He's talking about people who are poor in spirit, like lacking something. People who are looking for the more. He's speaking to them and he says, I'm anointed and I'm bringing, I'm going to bring the good news. I'm bringing the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to proclaim that captives, captives will be set free. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor is now. Not to come. Not in the next life. Not in the past. Like now. Jesus is stating to his audience as we read his scripture, as he essentially states to us now, that wherever you're at, he wants to take the blinders off your eyes, bring you to a place of seeing where you are not free and what he offers is being the more. Jesus said, I have come that I might set you free. And he says that, he went on to say, after he rolled the scroll up, he rolled it back up. And he handed it back to the guy, the attendant who, who handed it to him, and he sat down. Or in the tenant sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak again. And he said this He said, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Could it be that whatever category I might have judged you, or you felt judged, or you felt like I put you in, wherever you were at, Jesus, for our entire lifetime, has bringing, been bringing you to a place, maybe of receptivity today, to help you be set free. The goal of Scripture, the goal of God, is to set captives, poor in people, poor, poor in spirit people, us, all of us, 
set us free. If you're breathing, there is an area that God wants to set you free from. I'm talking to some of you today who feel the desperate need to compete and compare at every turn. You worry about stuff you have no control over, and it keeps you up at night. You've taken every sleeping pill out there that's known to man. There's not enough of melatonin to help you sleep at night. I'm talking to some of you who your relationship with God is, is tied directly to what He has done or not done for you. Like God loves me when things are going good. Or God doesn't love me when things are going bad. And the thought of what you can do for Him rarely crosses your mind. You question how much He really loves you. You're trying to earn something from Him that He freely already gave at the cross. Guilt is your greatest challenge, and you're not sure what to do about it. Let me just say that today, sometimes, just sometimes, the truth has to offend you before it can help you. <clears throat> somebody, somebody, somebody say something on that. Sometimes, sometimes the truth has to, you've got to hear it, it's got to hit you between the eyes before you can be helped by the truth. Let me talk about truth real quick to you. John 14 says, says this, Jesus answered, speaking of truth, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am all truth, I am the complete way, and I am all that you need, the more I am life, and no one who comes anywhere else besides me can ever have it. I paraphrase just a tad. The answer isn't knowing more. Have you ever had someone just say, hey, quit worrying less. <laughs> Thanks, that's helpful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> knowledge, knowledge isn't the key. In fact, this is what Jesus speaks for. He speaks about, he says, the answer isn't knowing more. It's about knowing him more. Truth is a person. The truth will set you free. Jesus will set you free. Let me be honest, really, how, in my circle growing up, for years, I thought free, freedom was, was not doing something. I thought freedom was not drinking. I grew up in a very strict Baptist culture. I thought drinking, I thought not drinking was the point. I thought not smoking. I thought not doing drugs. I thought all of these not things was freedom. Freedom's not about not doing something. It's about becoming something. Freedom's not about not doing something. It's about becoming something. It's about knowing someone. Jesus is that someone. And I believe with all my heart today, starting today for many of you, I think God's going to open some of your hearts up today. I think some of you right now are listening to some of the conversation this morning, and maybe God's Word and the Spirit of God is just opening your heart up to say, you know what, maybe I'm one of those people. Maybe I was, maybe there, there's an emotion in me right now that's going, yes, that's where I'm at. I want to talk to you today, and I'm not going to have time to, to really walk through this, because I want to give you, I want to give you an opportunity today 
to seriously walk back through like the haunted house out here of people like going, come to my lair. Let me, let me sign your name up. I do want to give you a moment to, to, to choke on a couple Krispy Kreme donuts, maybe kind of mesmerize your head for a moment to where you would seriously consider the potential of you finding freedom by being connected in a small group. I know some of you that's like so foreign. But maybe, just maybe, today God brought you here for the point of hearing this message to get you to a place of signing up in a small group. Because I'm here to tell you, God wants to work through the body of Christ. He wants to work through each other. You can't cut an arm off and the body function all that well. You can't show up on a Sunday morning and make this the end goal of your growth because you're going to walk out of here and have lunch and forget everything that I've said. You might hang on to a thought, but remember, knowledge by itself doesn't transform you. It's Jesus who transforms us. And I, I can tell you this, that when Jesus started the church, he intended the church to be a body. It's why he gave us this metaphor. Arms, legs, head, feet, the whole works. And when you're disconnected with the body or when you think sh- showing up on a Sunday and singing Kumbaya and clapping and all the guys are going, I don't even like the singing part. This is like so lame. Dude, get in a group. Get in a group with some dudes that you connect with. Ladies, find a group of women or folks, find a married couple or single people that's like, I'm not college, where do I go? We got it. We got it for you. Find a place where God can transform you by being connected to what he is doing. What God's doing is, he said, I've come to give you life and give it to you full. Not then or back in the past or once and for all way back then and it's done. Not, not in heaven, not just like, you know, in the afterlife, but like now. Now, Jesus rolled that scroll up and he said, today's the day. Today is the day, the opportunity, the potential all of us have been hoping for. I want to tell you a story about maybe one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's it's the story of the prodigal son. I've taught on it many times before. Many of you maybe have heard this story before. Some of you maybe you haven't. But I want to tell you the story about the prodigal son. Basically, it's, it's about a dad and his two sons, about a dad and his boys. And, it, and it's Jesus telling this story. It's, it's, it's a story, but it's what's called a parable. It's where Jesus makes, um, tells a story that has this connection, this earthly connection, because we can all relate to it. You know, uh, if you're a man, you had a dad. If you're, if you're, if you're you know... Your son, you've got a father. If you're dad, you, you may have a son. And, and if you're a mom, you may have some boys. Or, you know, if you're sister, you may have a brother. But he tells a story to connect people, to help people engage into the conversation. But it has a, a heavenly meaning. And it's got this audacious, awesome application that Jesus tells this story for people listening and for us to grab hold of. And so it's a story about these, these, this, this, this father and his two boys and, all, and most of us know the story. You know, like, yeah, there's the prodigal son, the one wayward boy that went out and did this stuff, and, like, he was such a straight loser. If that's you, potentially you're the older brother who was just as bad as the younger brother. He just didn't know it. 
That's why I talked about the two categories a moment ago. Because a lot of us are the older brother. We look at the younger brother and go, what a loser. I make the money. I bring home the bacon. Dad loves me more. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the favorite in the family. And look what you've done. We think we're so, we're, we're, we're pretty good. We got it all together. We're not going to get into the whole story today, but I'm going to tell you this morning about the first start of this and, and, and how this plays a vital role in our growth. The, the, it starts out in Luke chapter 15, chapter 12, and the younger brother <coughs> comes to his dad one day. Um, after, after, I'm sure, I'm just going to give me some freedom here. The son comes to his father one, one day and, and, and says, give me my share of the estate. And the dad eventually gave in to that, and he divided his property between the boys. Like, this was something that never, ever happened in that culture. This was such a, an odd thing. This wasn't just your normal kind of like snot-nosed, rebellious teenager he kind of got sideways with his parents and, and took the car and just went out for a drive to, to kind of just, you know, blow off things for a little bit. This was, this was a massive, massive deal. Like everybody in the village would have known about it. This, this was something that would have just, I mean, really, really crushed and divided a family up. This was massive. We're talking about years and years and years of heritage and culture and tradition not multifaceted traditions, one tradition, one way. This boy obviously had pondered this for a long time. This was not just a whimsical decision here. This son, obviously, for whatever reason, and we're just, we're just you know, guessing what it could be, but there was obviously something, and I think the question here is, why did he do this? Why did all of a sudden he walk away from all this that he had? And we can only assume that there was something lacking. We can only assume that maybe like a, a teenage boy today or even us today, maybe there's something down deep that he was missing. Maybe there were some daddy wounds there. Maybe dad had, you know, yelled at him before on the farm and said, you were a wuss, your older brother is better or smarter. And maybe there were some deep daddy wounds Maybe there, maybe there was reasons down deep that there was some pain, there was some hurt, there was some anger. But for whatever reason, this boy looked at what was and said, it's not enough. Still empty. And he trekked out looking for something else. So you've got this teenager. He heads out. And when he, when he heads out, he gets to a place says in verse 13 that not long after he left, what didn't take too long, that the younger son got together all that he had left because he had squandered it all away. He'd gotten out there and he'd had, I mean, a, a boatload of stuff that his dad gave him, a world of wealth. He, uh, he, he leveraged it, grabbed the hearts of some friends because he had some stuff he could, could hand out. Some, some freeloaders that, that spent some time freeloading off of him. And after a while, he looked around, and when everything went away, he had nobody left. There wasn't dad, there wasn't brother. And he found himself once again completely empty. Empty. 
which now he's like, this is worse off than what I had it before. I mean, Scripture says that he's like gotten to a place where he's like found a, 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 a farm where there's pigs and he's like literally hungry enough, so destitute in his place now apart from dad that things are so bad off, he's putting his head down in, in all this mess and eating with the pigs. So Scripture says he, he gets to this distant, this distant country. He's in a place he's never been before. He doesn't really know where he's at. He's confused about where his, where his identity is, who his dad is, who he is. He looks at the mess and he's like, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I'm at. He realizes he's squandered it all away on this wild living. And I'm not going to be able to dive into the rest of it today. But essentially, in that moment, he says, this is not it. This is not where I want to be. This is not where I want to be. This is not where I should be. And in that moment, he remembers his dad. And if you know the story, you know that all of a sudden, I mean, it's like he sits down in this like, like pit of shame. You ever remember your dad and your mom getting on to you? And you just kind of felt like, man, I've blown it. My dad to this day, if I mess up, my dad can talk to me and I can feel like, man, I've heard dad's feelings. I'll just be real honest, this last week I made everybody in my house cry at the same time. (laughs) My wife's laughing. It wasn't funny then. I got mad mad over, over chocolate pudding. Don't judge me. <laughs> I was defending my son because I made my son eat all his meal, and it took forever for him to eat this meal. We had four chocolate puddings. We're on this, like, health food diet at my house. I brought the chocolate pudding home. I wanted the kids to have one. Christy didn't want one, and I wasn't going to let her have one anyways. It's not true. <laughs> but I made J.D. eat his meal, and I can't get real specific because then, you know, it would be too incriminating. But J.D. had finally eaten his meal, and then there was no puddings left. And I got on to whoever I could find because I felt like it was wrong that someone had taken it, deceived, deceived us on who took it. We didn't know who took it. But little man's like, but I did what you said, Dad. Where's my pudding, right? So I started to get on to who I thought the culprit was, and eventually the whole house was crying. And in that moment... Everybody's looking at me, and all of a sudden I realize I'm the offender. I'm off- I'm offend- I've offended everybody. And it wasn't my dad, it wasn't my wife, it wasn't my kids. In that moment, I felt all this shame. And I said to myself, in that moment, you are a lame dad. You were a jerk. That's what I said. I said You're a jerk. And I looked at all my kids crying, looking at their daddy like I felt like they hate me. I'm a jerk. The way I've handled this, I've raised my voice. I've said, I'm not buying it. You're not telling the truth. All of a sudden, I felt all this shame. And I literally, I sat down and I just kind of went like, oh my gosh, here I am again. How did I get in this place one more time? 
And then I looked at my wife and was like, would you just defend me? Well, she was mad at me too. She was crying too. She was like partly crying, partly laughing. But I'm like, you're my wife. You're supposed to defend me. And I'm thinking, where's that? How in the world in in this moment that I feel all this shame that I'm looking to my wife and trying to find like my validation from what my wife thinks of me? I already know what the enemy thinks of me. That's where all the shame's coming from. His lie to me over and over and over again is I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough dad. Shouldn't be the pastor of this church because I'm not good enough for that either. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be married to my wife, Christy, because I should be a better husband. And I'm telling you this much. If I really took inventory of all the times I thought of myself as a straight-up loser in all those areas, it would give me perspective to know how my enemy, how our enemy, has really is really doing what Scripture says. It says our enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it was about to happen over pudding. That's what's hilarious. I'm like, pudding? And then I started, like, clicking my heels together and thinking of the Let It Go song. Like, <laughs> but you know what? That didn't help either. Because I can tell you this. Wherever you run to, if it's not running to Jesus, you're going to be empty. So the question is, where are you? Are you out there self-medicating, trying to figure out if someone still likes you on Facebook? Are, Are you out there trying to do anything apart from, like, the love, the grace, the life that comes from Jesus. And if you are, if you'd be honest, you'd be honest enough to say that apart from Jesus, it's really empty. It's really empty. Life with Daddy is life. Life is with our Heavenly Father. And maybe some of you this morning, when I say daddy, that conjures up not what a heavenly father is, but a bad father. And, and I'm not trying to put down anyone's dad. But my dad was as great as, he, as, as a dad could possibly be. And I got, I got baggage from an imperfect father. All our fathers are imperfect. I, I asked for my family's grace that night. <laughs> I know their option. And it reminded me to give them grace. <clears throat> and it reminded me of all the times that I can walk into a room and I can say, hey, you didn't do something. And I can see my kids hang their head at times in shame. It reminded me this week, that's not what Jesus does. Do you know what's crazy about this story? That young man sat down in his shame And he started to try to replay all the junk he'd done. And the more he replayed it, the worse he felt. And the greater escalated need he felt like to come up with a fix or solution 
or something that he could state and say to his dad to communicate and help his dad to want him back. If you read ahead, because I'm going to dive into more of this next week, he didn't have to do anything. He thought all the way home of all the things he needed to say to get his dad to win, to win his, his dad's heart back. And his dad just like didn't care about any of that. His dad just wrapped him up, wrapped him up, and said to the older brother, we're throwing the biggest party ever. Get, 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 my, get my finest robe, or get the finest robe, which had to be dad's, because dad's probably, he's the king of the house, right? He's large and in charge. For looking at as terms of, of this being a heavenly story with an earthly uh, understanding meeting, this this Jesus robe, he's like, put put the best on this guy, like he's essentially saying, I'll sacrifice it all for my son to be home to be with me. That's this mess. That's the message of the Bible. That's the story of God. That's the story of God. Stopping at nothing to bring us back to himself. Longing to be in an incredibly awesome relationship with his creation. The question, and the only thing I want you to ask today, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take a seven-week jump into the end of this conversation. I'm not asking you to, 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 to go join a small group and just like throw up on the group. And like the first week and tell them all your junk and all your problems. No, no, no. I'm just asking you to take a step here and ask yourself, where are you at? And open your heart and mind up to join a, a group this morning. This, this seriously has one step today of like spiritual growth. Join a group. Find a way to get in a group. Seven weeks. I can't do it. I don't have enough time. Listen, you don't have not enough time. You've got to make time for the most important stuff. There's always going to be the urgent things that end up never being the greatest things. A lot of them are good things. How often our kids are in sports. I've got three kids, all of them doing different stuff. Those are okay things. They're not the best things. The greatest gift I can offer my kids is a great marriage. Am I talking to somebody? Listen, we're, we're as busy as anybody else. There's not another night of the week that we have free. We had to drop some stuff. Because we're, we're part of a group also. The greatest gift I can give this church is a healthy family. If I'm not healthy, I can't be healthy for this church. Find, find a group at all costs. Whoever you are, wherever you are. Because I'm telling you, in that moment, God wants to, to, to lead you and grow you. And it doesn't mean you have to throw up on the group the first week. I know I just said that. But maybe, just maybe, you can go beyond, like, level one. Level one and maybe a relationship. Because most of us walk through life and it's level one relationships. God wants to heal us through the art of the church, being the body, being in community. And I'm telling you, it's really what works. So the question today is, where's your here? Pray with me. God, I just, uh, I ask that your word and the leading of the Holy Spirit here in this room today would guide us to 
God, it's to you, Jesus. God, I don't want anyone to do anything out of guilt today or shame. I don't want someone to walk out of this room and feel guilted in, in a bad way, to do anything other than, God, what you want them to do. But, God, I can't really see any other way than to strongly challenge and that there would be not one person that would miss out being connected to somebody else. God, I, I pray that for the, for the person out there that walks out of this room today and says, you know what, I'm not going to jump into any one of these groups. God, I pray that they'd get a book, get a freeway book, and find somebody else to have coffee with, a lunch, a Starbucks, whatever it is, to start doing life with somebody. Got to think of this son and how he didn't find life, life by himself. But he found it with his father. Representation, God, of being with somebody. God, you in the middle of relationships is where real life, real growth, real transformation happens. God, I pray that this would be a, a, a transformation Sunday for us where we allow the Spirit of God to lead us to take a step of following and pursuing you. God, we just, today, we give this to you. We surrender to you. And in these next few songs, God, I pray you'd lead us to a place of, of taking a step, a decision, a decision, a movement to do what's 